0: and it was one of those never-to-be-repeated uh, historical phenomenons. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates had begun that baseball season of 1979 with a, 20, with, with a, with a very non-impressive 23-21 and 21 record. But things were just about ready to change for them. The date was June 1st, and the Pirates on that, day, that evening were playing the San Diego Padres in Pittsburgh at back then Three Rivers Stadium. Uh, uh, and, and both teams had been, they, they were in an a, a extended rain delay, and so both teams were sitting in their dugout, and so to kind of keep the people occupied and kind of keep the place happy, uh, they would, uh, most uh, public address systems, they, they would play songs or have, you know, the dot race and you know, stuff like that just to keep people, you know, there and, and, and not to go home. And at this time, over the public address system, uh, the number four song in the nation was playing. Again, 79 was a time of disco. Everybody was discoing back in 1979. And so the fourth uh, song on, on, uh, on, on Billboard was playing. And on this night, it became the theme song of the Pirates as deemed by their superstar, Willie Stargell. I always enjoyed watching Willie Stargell play, especially the way they called him Pops, you know, especially the way that he'd swing that bat around and you know, put it up there and wah, 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 you know, then, then hit it. Uh, but, but Willie Stargell was their superstar. On this night, on June 1st, they were trailing by three runs in the ninth, but the Pirates rallied to beat the Padres, and in fact, just a few months later in October, the Pirates eventually would come back from a 3-1 to deficit to beat the Baltimore Orioles in the World Series. The theme song, if you don't remember, it was sung by Sister Sledge. Maybe some of you remember Sister Sledge, maybe some of you have never even heard of Sister Sledge, but it was sung by Sister Sledge, and the song was this. We Are Family. I mean, probably some of you remember it. Now, hope, you know, let's not start getting up and start singing it, but I mean, right now, it's in my mind. You know, you know, I, I'd, start, I'd sing it, but probably you really don't want to hear it. But, 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 but the song was We Are Family. And no song before or since has had such an impact on a sports franchise. You say, well, how do you know this? Well, when it was implied that the effect of the song was overrated, this is what Willie Stargell said, quote, That bothered me, because this person didn't live with us and didn't see how much we depended on each other. There's really no words to put into the way I feel. We had to scratch, we had to crawl, and we did it together because we're family. We didn't mean to be sassy or fancy, but we felt the song typified our ball club, end quote. Well, you say, what's that got to do with what we're talking about today? Well, of the five imperatival adjectives that are used in verse 8, again, we'll we'll look at them, uh, again, if you'll drop down to verse 8, you see these imperatival adjectives. uh, Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. They're all commands, they're all adjectives. Uh, the, The third and the fourth one, which is brotherly love and a tender heart, were used within the culture to describe kinship obligations. If you're part of a family... If you're if you're part of of uh, if you're kin to as we would say if you're kin to somebody, these were the obligations that were expected of you uh, within that culture. And Peter is making it clear that because followers followers of Christ are born again, having God as their Father, you go all the way back to chapter one and verse three, where Peter says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us." To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is uh, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Uh, He talks about the fact that we are born again, that God is our Father. Everyone here who is a child of God, everyone here who is a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, the, the Scriptures describe you as being born again, and your Father is God. We all have the same Father. In fact, when we I mean, pretty much all our prayers, when you hear them today, they'll begin something like this: Father or Heavenly Father. Just just saying that makes the makes the makes the acknowledgement that regardless of, of who you are, uh, if you're a child of God, regardless of the color of your skin. Regardless of your economic background, regardless of your educational attainments, regardless of, of, of where you're at economically, we are family. We're all brothers and sisters. We are united. We are born again from the same Father, our Heavenly Father. And Peter is driving this part home. And because of that, we have kinship obligations to one another simply because we're family. We're family. We are more than just members of the same church. We're family. And no matter the size, whatever size a church is, whether it's large or whether it's small or whether it's somewhere in between, no matter the size of the church, it should always feel like family. Always feel like family. We're a family. We have the same heavenly Father. We're a family, and Peter unpacks in in, in our text today. And we're, actually, we're, we're, when, when when we get into verses uh, nine, uh, Lord willing, next week, Peter unpacks the family's characteristics. We're going to look at that today in verse eight. They're, the challenge every family has a challenge, don't they? there's challenges in all our families, but he talks about the challenge within the family in the first part of verse 9. And then he talks about the family's call. Uh, Or, or, uh, I mean, even as as I was studying it and thinking about it, even like the... Some families have crests, the family crest. Uh, And and it's almost like this is our family crest. It's what we've been called to do. And our focus this morning is going to be on verse 8 and the family's characteristics. What does it... what, What kind... I mean, every family... I mean, you just think about it. You think, well, yeah, yeah they're stubborn. That, that's just one of their family characteristics. Or, you know, uh, they're, uh, they're 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 they, they 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 enjoy playing games. That's one of their family characteristics. Uh, you know, we have all these things that are characteristics of a family. So, what should characterize our family? What is it that Peter is saying that we should expect? Everybody that is a family member. What should what 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 characteristics, what virtues, what values should be important within the family and should be displayed by each family member. And and it's important for us to know what these are and and how we are to live out our lives towards one another. And so we we find that as we look at this, before we look at the characteristics, we're going to begin by examining the context and the chiasm. It's important for us to see. What, what Peter is doing here, because he's dry, he, he, I want to show you just how important he's making this point. Think about let, let, Let's kind of review, and let's think about the flow of thought here. The flow of thought that we find reading here goes all the way back to chapter 2 and verse 11. And, and beginning in chapter 2, and we know that because if you look at our text, the first word that is used there is the word finally. In other words, Peter is saying, in summation, he's summing something up. And what he's summing up is this whole section that begins all the way back in chapter 2 and verse 11, and it's talking about how do believers conduct their lives when they live in a culture that is hostile towards them. When you find yourself living in a culture that is hostile, when you find yourself that, living in a place where they are against you simply because you claim the name of Christ... What is expected of you? How do you respond to that, to that vitriol? How do you respond to that hatred? How do you respond when they are pushing back against you and see the fact that just because you're a Christian is enough to believe that you shouldn't exist? How do you push, how, how do you push back? What are you expected to do? And beginning in chapter 2 and verse 11 through verse 17, Peter tells how believers are to relate to society in general. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the, honor the emperor. And we, and we spent several weeks in, 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 in those verses. That's, that basically, the, the Peter's detailing how believers are to relate to society in general. This is how I'm to live as a citizen... As While well, I'm, I'm a citizen of, of heaven, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, as I live here as a citizen of whatever country I'm in, but also as a, I'm, I'm a sojourner, I'm a foreigner in this land. And this is how I'm to live. Verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse 7, which we just finished up last week, Peter guides the conduct of specific individuals within the household relationships we told you that that the household was very very important in the culture because so as the household goes so goes society so goes the culture and if the household wasn't in order that culture took it very seriously because they knew that that the that the uh, that the disintegration of their culture w- was what would happen next and so how as christians living in households where you have an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving wife or if you are a slave and, and you have an unbelieving master, how do you live out your life to show them honor, but at the same time while walking in obedience to God? And so we found that. Peter guides the conduct in, in chapter three. I'm sorry, in chapter two and verse eighteen, servants be subject to your masters. And we looked at that. And then he goes on, verse chapter three and verse one, likewise wives. And again, this idea of likewise is that we do this not because The the person that we are uh, uh, interacting with deserves it, but we do it because we are a slave of God and out of reverence and respect for God. And then we drop down to verse 7, likewise husbands, again that word likewise there again. In the sense that whether you're a slave, whether you're a wife, uh, whether you're a husband, whether you're a slave with a master who is, is an unbelieving master, or whether you're a wife with an unbelieving husband, or whether you're a, a husband with an unbelieving wife, and we said with the husband and wife, you could also relate that. There's ways you could relate that to them as being believers. That this is how you are to live your lives, to give honor to God, to be able to have an impact upon them, even though they are culturally against you. Now, Chapter 3 and verses 8 and 12 is is the summation. And he goes back, in in, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 17, it was kind of a universal. He was talking in general. In chapter 2, 18 through chapter 3 and verse 7, he he, he narrowed the focus. He narrows the focus. And though it covered a lot of the people, I mean, uh, husbands, wives, slaves... It covered a lot of people. It still was a narrow focus. And now back in verse 8, he makes it now universal again. Again, look at the text. Finally, all of you. All of you. And that all of you just isn't referring to husbands. It's just not referring to wives. It's just not referring to slaves. It's referring to, he's making it universal again. He, he's, he's opened it back up to every believer. This is what is expected of every believer. So he focuses here In uh, in chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, whereas the focus in the first section dealt with believers' relationship to society, the focus in the next section dealt with our conduct as it relates to interacting with those who we are very, very close to within the household who either are not following Christ as believers or who are unbelievers. Here now, his focus is upon the relationship primarily between believers. So we've gone from the society in general We've we've, we've narrowed it back down to within personal close relationships that we have, where the person we're interacting with is either as a believer not following Christ or they're unsaved. And now he says he makes it even, he's he's opened it up to everybody, but the, the classification is even narrower now. Here we now have a relationship between believers. Between believers. And it's primarily between believers and the character that is needed to respond to evil and insult, no matter its origin. He's going to talk later in these verses about not repaying evil for evil, and reviling for reviling, and immediately our minds would think, well, he must be talking about how unbelievers treat them. And that certainly, certainly is a proper understanding of that. But also, it's just not unbelievers that treat believers bad, is it? <laughs> believers can treat believers bad, can't they? Believers can say ugly things to each other. Believers can use their tongues to insult and to hurt and to tear apart. Uh, believers can have uh, animosity towards another believer. So here he's talking about what we do as e- uh, we're facing our interaction with, with other believers and how do we respond when, when we're faced with evil, regardless of the origin of that evil or that insult. So, in verse 8, as we look at now the, the chiastic structure, we, we see where Peter is driving this point home. In verse 8, as we told you, there are five imperatival adjectives that form a chiastic structure. Again, remember, a chiastic structure, they get it from the Greek letter chi, where you kind of have an X, okay? And so you've got this and this. You've got this and this. And in a chiastic structure, whatever is in the middle of a chiastic structure is, what is, the, is the important point, and then the, whatever's at th- this point will correspond to this point. Whatever the next one will correspond to the next one until till you work your way down to the middle. But you can get an idea of what is being emphasized by, by the, what's in the middle there. And so look at it because it, it's, easy, it's, even easy, it's easy to see in our English text. The first and the fifth speak of the, of the qualities there, speak of how one thinks or what their attitude is. And the ESV translates it for us in a way... That really helps us. Unity of mind and humble mind. And both, they're they're not just pulling mind. It's part of the the Greek word that's used there. Mind is part of that. Unity of mind and a humble mind. So he's talking about how we think or our attitude. The the second and the fourth speaks of how we feel. Sympathy and being tender-hearted or compassionate. The, the, The outer two talk about how we think what our attitude is, the next two talk about how we feel. Sympathy and, and, and being tender-hearted. And they're all, they're, they are all structured around the middle quality, which is brotherly love. Which is brotherly love. Uh, we, Philadelphia, that's what that word, the, the word here is Philadelphoi. Uh, the, the, the city Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love. Now, you look at their murder rate lately, you're probably not going to believe that. But, but anyhow, uh, it, it's the city of brotherly love. So, but we err, because here's what we tend to do. We tend to emphasize the word love over brother. And we've got to be careful about that. We err if we emphasize love over brother and simply reduce this to merely a feeling. Now, it certainly is a feeling, but it's more than a feeling. It's more than just, just looking at a brother or sister in Christ and, and having, having a feeling towards them. It certainly includes that, but it's more than that. Because the word love simply means that we are to act right regardless of whatever emotions may or may not be involved when you look at, at how the word love is, is used in the scripture and I know there's different words that are used there but when you look at the, the word brotherly love it, it's talking about the kind of love that I'm going to act rightly towards them regardless of whatever my whatever emotions may be there. I'm not going to allow whether or not I feel loving whether or not I feel loving towards them to dictate and control and define how I'm going to act towards them. My feelings are not going to define how I act towards them. My feelings are certainly involved, but it's not going to define how I act. In fact, I'm going to make the point this morning that these other four virtues unpack what brotherly love looks like. I'm going to make the point, and I, I hope I'm correct on it, I'm going to make the point that what I think one of the things that Peter is doing here by using this chiastic structure and putting brotherly love there is he is unpacking for us what brotherly love looks like. It certainly involves feelings. Well, look at what sympathy means. Well, look at what tender heart it means. But it also means that there's a unity of mind. There' also means that there's a humble mind. If I'm going to love my brother, love my sister the way God is talking about it, there's certainly these feelings that are involved there. But but also involved in these feelings, and what even controls these feelings, and, and instead of being defined by the feelings, is there's a unity of mind. There's a choice that I'm going to make. There's a choice that I'm going to make as I relate to them. I'm going to make a choice, and that regardless of what's going on with my feelings, I'm going to make this choice, and, and so. This morning, what I want us to do—we're not going to do word studies. We just simply don't have the time. But but I, I want to to look at each of these these other four characteristics and help help us to understand what it means. What are the characteristics of a family? Again, that word brotherly love, as we told you earlier, was one of the words that would be used, just even in the culture, even in the secular culture, to define what kinship, what was involved in a kinship obligation. Because I'm part of the family. What ought to exist is brotherly love. So let's look at this. Let's look at the characteristics. First of all, as we're going to look at these characteristics, here's the point we're going to see. Being part of a family means this. It requires a high level of commitment. Doesn't it? I mean, if you have a family, if you're raising children, it requires a high level of commitment. And even after they get grown and out of the house... If, if you remain as a strong family, it requires on everybody's part a high level of commitment. Being part of a family means—I uh, mean, it certainly can involve blood, but but it didn't even have to involve blood. And, it, and and even those that 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 are related by blood sometimes disengage themselves from the family. But being part of a family simply means this: it requires. What God is what, what Peter is commanding us, Pe- these aren't suggestions, these, these are, these are imperatival adjectives. They are commands that God expects from us. He expects a high level of commitment that we have towards one another. A high level of commitment that we have towards one another, which runs countercultural to how the church is viewed today. The church today is just viewed as a place where we come on Sunday. Uh, where we might do, you know, every, every now and, then. and and basically, we're really not that committed to one another. And and the reason why you know this is because, you know, you could take a, you know, if you drew a, a five a five mile radius circle around this church, there are lots of churches here, huh. lots of churches. And so, if I don't like the one where I'm at, I, I can go somewhere else. And I'm not saying there's not times that we leave where we're at. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is this, is that when we become a part of a place, what's expected of us, not just the staff, not just the leadership, what's expected from all of us is a high level of commitment. And he explains that, con- that commitment involves how I think and my attitude towards one another and how I feel towards one another. And my thinking follows my feelings. So, first of all, this commitment is evidenced by our mindset. What, as we look at these qualities, we're going we're to do it in the chiastic structure. We're going to start at the top one, the first one, drop down to the fifth one, and go to the second one, because that's how the first one and the fifth one are in, intertwined. They're related. They also help, help to explain and unpack the, the next two, but we're going to look at it this way. So the commitment, first of all, is, is evidenced by our mindset. The first one that he uses there is translated in the ESV as unity of mind, or it can also mean harmonious, and and, and the word is homothronos. I'm sorry, homothrones, H-O-M-O-P-H-R-O-N-E-S, homothrones. In the culture, this word was used or was understood as a sharing of common heritage, which results in a cohesiveness. It's a sharing. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean. Were you ever? Maybe you had. I mean, I knew this growing up. If somebody was picking on my brother or sister, I was expected to get involved in that situation. Why? Because there's a common heritage. There's a cohesiveness. There's a cohesiveness. And my, mom was sharing with us. I'd forgotten about this. So mom was sharing with Christmas. Somebody was picking on my sister or something, and and uh, you know she asked me, "Well, Greg, what did you do?" I said I didn't have to do anything. She's taking care of the situation. Or, I mean, she's waylaying on the kid. You know, I didn't have to do anything. You know, and and, and so you know, part of of, of 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 the fact that there is a co- there's a cohesiveness there. We're united because there's a common heritage. You know, we are we are we have we have the same uh, experiences. We we have the same blood. Uh, you know, we there's 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 a there's a there's a, a bond there that that that, that it almost can't be broken. And that's part of how this word is used there. But for believers, that heritage is Christ and His teachings. And basically the idea is this, is where the individual is willing to conform their individual goals, their individual needs, their individual expectations to the greater purposes of the family. That's the idea of unity. It doesn't mean we all think alike. It doesn't mean we agree on everything it doesn't mean that, that you know, we're just all little clones and we hold to the same view on, on everything. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we have unanimity. But what it does mean is that we have, what, where we are united in mind is this, that more important than me is us. Is us. More important than my expectations is us. In other words, the question that I say is this, not what is best for me, but what's best for the church? What's best for the church? What's best for us as a family? And if it's best for us as a family, then it's what's best for me as well. Even though I may not think it or I may not see it, it's what is best for me as well because the greater purpose of the family has to supersede the greater purpose of the individual. Now, I know that runs counter-cultural to our to to our American culture of individualism, of rugged individualism, you know, where it's about me, and it's about me pulling myself up by my own bootstraps, and, you know, it kind of rubs against, you know, back when, uh, years ago, when, when uh, uh, Hillary Clinton said, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, and so, I mean, all that kind of, all that, all those feelings kind of flooding in, because we live in a culture where the individual is prized, that's not the, that, that, that's not only not the culture that, that the New Testament is written in, but it's, not also, it's also not the culture that, that Scripture speaks about. More important than me is we. It's we. So when it comes to this unity of mind, it means that this, that I believe that what is, that what is most important is not my individual expectations, not my individual needs, not my individual goals, but our goals, Our needs. And if everybody thinks that, then everybody's looking out for what is best for the family. What's best for the family. That takes a high level of commitment. That takes me laying down some things. The second thing as it relates to mind is humility or a humble mind. And that's the word that that we have up there, uh, the the second word there that's translated, the humility humble mind and and this this value i mean peter goes countercultural when he uses this word this was a not only not only was it a countercultural virtue it was a it was a hated despised disdained virtue within that culture in fact to be humble in mind was regarded as a sign of weakness only weak people have a humble mind only it was a sign of shame it was a sign of ina- the inability to defend oneself. And to be humble-minded was to view and declare. The reason why I saw it that way because to be humble-minded was to view and declare oneself powerless to defend one's status. And yet, Peter, unashamedly, under the inspiration of the Spirit, puts this word in here as a characteristic of our family. That already makes the culture look down upon us. But here's the idea. It means to take the lower place and put others' individual interest above my own. So in other words, here's my mindset. Peter begins by saying, your mindset begins with what's best for the church as a whole? What's best for us as a family as a whole? And then it narrows down. As I'm interacting with brothers and sisters in Christ, what's best for you? What's best for you? I I esteem others better than myself. What's best for you? Not what's best for me, but what's best for you? I I start off with the thinking that because I'm part of this family, then what I have to think about is what's best for the church. For the church. And I have to make my decisions on what's best for the church. I I mean, I'm trying to limit myself on doing this, but... Since Jubal brought it up, I'll I'll blame him, okay? Uh, But, uh, you know, as Lisa and I were talking about this, about, about my retirement, and remember I shared it with you that Sunday, I told her, I believe with all my heart that if I stay, I'm going to hurt the church. I'd rather stay. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I know. It's not, this, is, this, this, this decision that we made, it's, it's not primarily about me. It's not primarily about me and Lisa. It's a decision that considers the church. The church. What is best? Even though I may not see it, even though I may not understand it, even though it may seem like it, it's, it's, a, it's a faulty thought, what is best for And then, what is best for my individual brother and sister? What is best for them? I'll take the lower place, and I'll put their interest above mine. Now, that's not at the sacrifice of truth. It's not at the sacrifice of doing the right thing. But I'm willing to lay aside my preference in that individual interaction with them. So there's an individual action going on where I'm willing to lay aside my preference... And there's an action that covers the whole family. These are the kind of qualities that every family member is expected to have. This mindset, uh, this is the mindset of the family. But the family is also characterized by feelings. We're just not, we're just not a bunch of uh, uh, Mr. Spocks. You know, live long and prosper, Okay. We're not a, a bunch of that are having to fight our emotions and that our emotions have no role in this again i I think Peter puts these two in, in the kaiastic structure he puts these two there is because our our thinking should be the guardrails for our emotions we don't want we don't want to take our emotions and allow them to rule and control us and so we have to have some thinking around our emotions as guardrails to make sure that we, we don't we don't careen off of either side of the cliff but it doesn't mean that we we, we stuff our emotions. it doesn't mean that we ignore our emotions. It doesn't mean that there's not an emotional aspect that should exist as, as, as family members within this part of the body of Christ. And so he talks about that and the first that he mentions is the word that's translated uh, uh, translated in, in the ESV as sympathy. In fact it's almost a transliteration of the word. The word is sympathy s. Y-M-P-A-T-H-E-I-S. Sympathies. It also can be under some translations translate it understanding. The idea is that of an identification with the experience and feelings of another. I identify with their experience. I identify with my with their feelings. It includes seeking to see things from another's point of view that I'm so emotionally connected with them. I desire to be emotionally connected with them that I see things from their point of view. I feel things from their point of view. And you know what? One of the beauties of this word, it's, it's come, this word is used to describe our Savior in one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest... Who is unable, and here's the word, to sympathize with our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. It's the same word. To sympathize with our weakness. One of the core tenets of the gospel is that Jesus became one of us so that He can understand what it's like to be tempted. He can understand what it's like to be falsely accused. He can understand what it's like to be tired. He can understand what it's like to see Futility all around him. He can sympathize with our weakness. And was tempted in every aspect, just but but with with this exception, no sin. No sin. Then the writer of Hebrews says, because of this, let us then. I mean, it changes the whole way we approach God. I don't have to approach God as a child of God, I don't have to approach God in shame. Now, I may be grieving over my sin, but I don't have to approach him with shame. Christ we sang about. It, Christ took our shame. I don't have to cower. I can in fact, the text says, I can come with confidence and I can draw near to the throne of grace so that I can find mercy and find grace to help in the nick of time. Why? Because I have a high priest who sympathized with me, who stepped into my shoes to understand my weakness, to understand my experience, to understand my feelings. And so therefore, I can run into God's presence knowing that my Savior under. That Peter uses here to describe the characteristics of what it means to be part of a family. That we enter into the experience of others. And because, listen, it's not just going, oh man, my heart really breaks for you. What did that text tell us? That text told us that that because Jesus understood, he he now acts appropriately. He now is our high priest. He serves as our mediator. And that's part of this idea of this word. Because we understand their feelings, we act appropriately. We understand what they're going through. So we extend a sympathetic heart. We extend mercy. We extend grace. We extend maybe a tough conversation out of love, even though it's uncomfortable for us to have it. Because we've entered into their experience. The other quality that he mentions is a quality that's ESV ten, uh, uh, translates it as tender heart, or some translations have it as compassionate. Others have it as the word kindness. And again, just as the first two, you had the the is it related to the, the, the character qu- uh, qualities there. The first, the unity of mind kind of has the idea of the, of the whole, and then uh, the, 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 hum- the humble mind kind of narrows it down to the individual. This kind of does it in the same way, except now you kind of broaden out. The, the first one had the idea of sympathy. I understand what you're going through. I'm going to enter into what you're going through, and because I understand what you're going through, I'm going to act appropriately. I know how to to, to reach out to you. I understand what you're going through. But our caring moves beyond similar experiences. Just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean I can't care. Just because I don't understand what you're going through doesn't mean that I can't minister to you. And that's the idea of that word translated tender-hearted. Our family's caring is not simply because we understand what the other person is going through. Let, if we gave a literal translation to this, it, it's so, I, 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 I love this word. It's the word, you splonknoi. You splonknoi. It literally means having strong bowels. And doesn't that sound like what the word that you'd use for bowels? You splonknoi. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what comes in my mind when I say that because this isn't the proper place to do so, but but just you splunk. Yeah, I'm trying to... You splunk in the way, okay? Having strong bowels. In that culture, the seat of the affection was in this area right here. And we still do that. Man, my gut turned. Or I can feel it in my gut. Or, you know, we, we get so upset that it affects our stomach. Or it affects our, our digestive tract. You ever, you ever been that hurt or that upset? To where, I mean... It, Your stomach was turning and churning, or it affected your digestive tract. That's the idea. It's these feelings that, I mean, it reaches our gut. It's a gut-wrenching feeling. And that's the idea here. We choose to be emotionally involved with each other so that their suffering becomes our suffering, even though we don't understand it we're going to choose to become so emotionally involved in it that their suffering becomes our suffering. Their joy becomes our joy. Their grief becomes our grief simply because we're family. We're family. These are the values that you characterize our family. These qualities presume, as we said earlier, A high commitment to the stability and well-being of the family rather than to individual needs. How can I minister to the family? It's not about me. It's about we. What's best for the church? What's best for my brother or sister in Christ? It's not about me. It's about we. And that, that means, that's a high level of commitment. A commitment that is so lacking today, especially in our American culture when it comes to the church. It also it, it requires a servant's mindset rather than a consumer's mindset. You know, here uh, recently, a friend, a, a friend of mine went to a place where they were supposed to kind of share about their church. And I I talked to him. I said, "Listen, be careful." I said, "Listen to listen to what other people say, and and listen if they don't start giving you off a checklist. We've got this. 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 We've got this." this." Now, there's nothing wrong with saying the different kinds of ministries that you have, but in our culture, a lot of times this, 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 and this is it's 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 like consumerism. You know, hey, do that instead of saying, "Listen." We've got this area of service. We've got this area where you could be a help. We've got this area where you could pour your life into. And, and, and I'm not saying that just when they go through that checklist that that's not what their thinking is behind it. But oftentimes, it's like you're trying to compete. You know, we've got this, 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 this and this. Well, hey, you know, bigger, better, y'all you know, uh, you know, here, here, here,, you know, this, 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 this and this of saying, you know what, it's not about what I can get, it's about how I can serve. If you're looking for a place to serve, here's this place. Here's where you can grow. Here's where you can help others grow. Here's where others can help you grow. Here's where you can have a covenant relationship with one another and live life together. It requires a servant's mindset rather than a consumer's mindset. It requires messy involvement rather than aloof individualism. I'm going to tell you something you probably already know. People in their lives are messy. (laughs) Aren't they? I mean, they are, aren't they? And how do I know this so well? Because I live one of those lives. (laughs) My life's messy. My life's messy. The things we talked about Wednesday night, I'm trying to put them into practice this week. Trying to do better at some of the things. And lo and behold, guess what? I had a tough time a couple times because my wife just didn't stinking want to cooperate with me. You know? Dang her. Her fault. You know? Life's messy. It doesn't go the way. Again, I'm a planner. I like to check the boxes. I like to let you know what I'm doing three years and 23 days from now at 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay? That's the kind of person I am. And guess what? I'm not even sure if I'm going to be alive tomorrow morning, you know? Planning. And there's nothing wrong with planning. Go to the Antile Slugger and consider her ways. But at the same time, I've got to realize that. Life's messy. Things happen. Plans change. Circumstances occur. People, you know, I mean, you guys could make my life real easy if you made sure that you went to the hospital on, you know, make sure that it's not on my day off, first of all, okay? And, and make sure it's between business hours. Cause if it's been, and, and then, you know, if you could do that, that would make my life really, really easy. If you're going to have a baby, make sure that you do it between those hours. And if you're going to get married, make sure you... And if you're going to have a knockdown drag-out fight and you need some help, make sure you do it between those hours and call me then. My li- but life doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't. You get sick at 3 in the morning. I get sick at 2 in the morning. That's how life is. And, and and we've got to and and, spe- and again this, this is this is I mean this is, I'm preaching to me. It requires mess involvement rather than aloof individualism, where my schedule is more important. But it also does this: it reveals Christ, and when practiced, manifests the natural, healthy community that can be experienced by assuming my role in the family. You see, community is not something that is man-made. It's not man-made. It's already God-made. We already have community simply because of this. We're part of the same family. We're part of the same family. We don't have to make community. Community exists. But we are, we do have to do this. Our responsibility is to cultivate it, it's to foster it by binding ourselves to a high level of commitment as a member of this family. I'm going to have a mind of unity, unity of mind, a humble mind, sympathy, and a tender heart. All that expresses the brotherly love that I'm to have for you and that we are to have for one another. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of simply being a good family member. You say, well, how do you become a member of that family? I mean, who wouldn't want to be a member of that family? How do you become a member of that family? By being born again. How does that happen? Nicodemus asked that question. How does that happen? It happens when we recognize our need for Christ. We are born into this world as rebellion against God. We are sinners by birth. We are sinners by choice. We we have offended God. We are at war against God because we don't want a God over us. And yet God who would have been well within his sovereign pleasure to wipe us off the face of the earth rather chose to redeem us because he wanted to redeem Not only His justice, but His grace and His redemption. And Jesus Christ, as we read earlier, became one of us. He identified with us. Yet without sin, the second person of the Trinity added to Himself human flesh, which He will possess forever. And He became a human being, a man. As much of a human being as you are a human being, except without sin. And He offered up His perfect life as a sacrifice for my sin and your sin to take the wrath of God for our sin and to pay its penalty, its price. And when we recognize the fact that we cannot make ourselves acceptable to God in any way, walking an aisle won't do it, bapti- baptism won't do it, just merely praying a prayer won't do it. But when we recognize our need of the Savior, without Christ, we have no hope. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing that we can can, can muster. There's nothing that we can offer to God that will make us acceptable. But when we put our faith and trust in Christ and come to Him in repentance and faith, we're born again. The Spirit of God quickens us and makes us alive. We're born again That we would plead with you today to do so. For those of us who are part of the family, how are we doing on these character qualities? Where, what what areas do you need to work on? I know there's areas I need to work on. Where do I need to work on? And, and, And it's something that we must strive for. And, and 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 we must do this because long before Sister Sledge sang it, Peter stated, it. "We are family. We're family." Hopefully, you'll think about that this week. Hopefully, you'll be hearing Sister Sledge in your head all week. We are family. As it, how they sing it there. We are family, and when you think about that, or you hear that song playing in your head over and over and over again, it'll drive you back to the text and say, "Lord, help brotherly love to be a part of my life. Help me to think of the family rather than myself. Help me to prefer the individual." Help me, Father, to display sympathy. Help me to to, to look to minister to those who who their experience is the same as mine. Use me and my experience to to be a blessing and help us to to, to come together, to to use our experiences to to grow and to to minister to one another. And even if I don't have that experience, I can still minister to them. I can still be tender-hearted towards them. I can still be compassionate towards them. A matter of it. It's a matter of laying down our lives and investing them into others. And God can make any church, regardless of its size, feel like what God intended it to be, a family. A family. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for this text and next week as we look at the challenges that face the family and, and the call that we've been given. Lord, we pray that You would help us, Lord, to think about these characteristics today and, and Father, none of us apply them perfectly in our lives. All of us have one or two or maybe more where we, where we tend to struggle. Lord, I, I pray that You would just... Help us to to think about this. I'm grateful for already how how this sense of family exists in this place. Lord, it's not an automatic thing. It doesn't just happen because we're small. It takes effort. It takes commitment. So, Lord, we need the power of the Spirit of God Able to do this. We need the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, self control. So we'll see the self control aspect next week. The, the fruit of the Spirit operating in our lives because, Lord, I tend to think more about me than we. I tend to focus more on my issues than others' issues. I I tend to want people to hear my story rather than to hear their story. So Lord, give us a a heart of brotherly love so that this body, with all its faults, with all its struggles, but yet this body will be a place People know, as a child of God, your family. Your family. Families stick together. Families have each other's back. Families protect each other. Family, most of the time, is a secure place safe place, and, and when, it, when it's not, it brings such havoc in people's lives. And the same way in the life of the church, when, when the church is, is not a safe place or a secure place, or a place where we can be vulnerable, a place where we can be ourselves, a place where we can share our struggles and our disappointments, and if it ceases to be that, if it's no longer safe, So help us, Father, to... You've likened us to this. Peter likened us to this in this passage of Scripture. And help us, Father, to become more and more like a family with you as our Heavenly Father. Again, we praise you for how that already exists to you. Lord, we pray even more that we might abound more and more and more in this. And when it happens, we'll give you the glory. We'll give you the honor and praise. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As you know, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation because we're all going to respond to the message today. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you're not certain about that, please come talk to us after the service. If you're a, 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 a lady, we'll have a, we'll have a lady talk with you. We'll have, if you're a man, we'll have a man talk with you. But if you're not sure, if you have questions, please come see us after the service. For those of us who are saved, I, I just pray that the Lord, may. let's pray for each other in this way. And ask the Lord to help us and to mold us. Some of us are bent certain ways that this is more natural for us to do. Some of us are not bent that way. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. We all can learn from one another. We're all at different stages in the fruit of the Spirit in our life. That's why we need each other. To be encouraged. To receive a blessing. To be a blessing. So whatever your need is, we want to praise God too for just, I mean, you hear that a lot people say about our church it's, it's, it's family it's family and that's not just because we're small it's because of the characteristics that exist the virtues that exist the values that exist It can be in any size of church we're going to go to the Lord in a time of silence the Spirit of God to, to speak to you during this time and then we'll, we'll close out our services today Father thank you for your word today and Lord may it not be seed that is fallen upon stony ground, and where the birds come and take it away, where Satan takes it and we get distracted, or we get distracted by, gets choked out by the things of this world, and Lord, may it may it find good soil in our hearts today, good soil in my heart today. Lord, as we go through this on Wednesday night and think about it, and look at how we can apply it into our lives, and how we do that father i pray that you would give us good thinking as we as we spend the time to prepare that and and lord give us good interaction as we seek not as people that are that are knowers but as those that are we're all learners in, in ways that we can we can apply this and learn from one another be encouraged and challenged by how you work in the lives of other people so lord we just We just commit ourselves to you today. We're thankful that regardless of what political party is in power, regardless of what form of government we might be under, regardless of what the stock market is doing, regardless of um, what kind of restrictions are placed upon our mobility, it doesn't affect this. It doesn't change a thing. I know brothers and sisters who live in other countries who now their countries are making laws where any kind of religious activity over the Internet, Zoom meetings, are illegal. But they find a way because they're family. So Lord, I pray you would help us to take advantage of the freedoms that we have, of the opportunities that we have, Lord, to to be strong, to grow. And not only to pray and minister to one another, but pray earnestly for our brothers and sisters who don't have these freedoms. Because there's nothing worse than being isolated. Where you're apart from family. You don't get to see family. Lord, we just ask now your blessings upon each one here today. Thank you for your work of grace in our lives. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. Again, we appreciate you all being here today. Uh, if you want to continue your worship through giving, the offering plates are there at the back, as well as remember, if, you're, your record, if you want your record of giving from last year, the envelopes are back there sealed, and you can do that. We want to close our services today with a benediction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Be with you, God's people said, Amen. Go in God's grace. We'll see you, Lord willing, next time. Thank you for being.